Hey folks, welcome back to the podcast. This is The Finch Show, and I am James Finch. I want to thank all of you for coming back. Um, if you've listened before, I appreciate you coming back. If you're new, welcome. Glad to have you here. We're getting ready to do another episode. Before I do that, I have to talk about our sponsor, Black Star Woodcrafts. You can check out Black Star Woodcrafts on Facebook, on Instagram, and he now has an Etsy shop. Go there, type in the search bar, Black Star Woodcrafts, you'll see what he's got. And he makes some really, really awesome stuff. Pens, bath caddies, clocks, bottle toppers, you name it. His work is amazing. Uh, I cannot stress it enough. I have plenty of his products myself. I just shared a really cool video, I think last week, of this cool pen that I bought from him. And you think to yourself, why do I need a pen? It's, it's a pen. You write with it. No, these things are cool. They are set pieces. They are show pieces. They look amazing. I cannot recommend it enough. Go there. Check it out. And... Because you find yourself listening to this podcast, and he is the sponsor, you will get 15% off your order. Just let him know you got there through the Finn Show, and he'll hook you up. And if you like what he's got, but you wish it was just slightly different or maybe in a different color, reach out to him. Contact him. He loves collaborating like that. He loves coming up with different ideas, different ways of doing things. He loves making the customer happy. I highly recommend doing that. I'm going to keep recommending it because I recommend it, and that's how I highly recommend it. So I recommend it. Go check it out. Okay, so moving on to this episode. Uh, my good friend and just all-around awesome human being, Shannon Myers, came back on the show. She's known as the Integrative Counselor, and she has a very diverse background in, in counseling and being a therapist for a lot of different ways and the way she integrates medicine and different things. Um, you can also find her on Facebook and on Instagram. Um, she is on Twitter. Um, she has a really interesting story, has a really interesting unique perspective on a lot of things um, and I think it can be a big help to a lot of people listen to the podcast see what you think reach out to her do that follow her you'll love it I love her she's amazing and so without further ado here is Shannon Myers We are live. We are live and on the scene. I am here with Shannon Myers. She's back again. How are you? How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. Anytime, anytime. Um, you just like, you're just like one of those people who just like has an open pass. It's just like, come on anytime. Even if you're like, okay. yeah, if you feel like messaging me at three in the morning, like, hey, you want to do a podcast? Yeah, let's do a podcast. Let's do okay. it. So um, with that being said, we were messaging about this, um, I think just like a week or so ago. And you had made a mention that, you know, doing therapy and doing counseling, that the holidays are your busiest time of the year. Mm -hmm. And I got a pretty good guess as to why, but I'm really more interested in what the professional has to say about it. Yeah, I mean, I've just, I've kind of noticed that the holidays and the winter time, the winter months are just the busiest time of year. Seasonally, this is the time where like even Celtic traditions, this is the hibernation period. I, I like to live my life seasonally. And so um, this is kind of the introspective period. Um, a lot of times it has to deal with, um, like December is always my biggest, biggest month. 
um, in January too, because a lot of people are making some resolutions and some promise to themselves. But December, I've already worked with more people um, than like last month um, by, by double because um, just people are thinking about going home and visiting families and they're healing or trying to heal and they're really working on boundaries or they're working on their health or maybe they're leaving a, fam a toxic family system or whatever that is. So it ends up being a really, really stressful time of year for a lot of folks. Um, and a lot of deep introspection is just going on naturally. Seasonal affective disorder is really high. That actually hit early this year. I was seeing individuals with seasonal affective disorder in like September, which you know I normally don't see that until like December or January, February months, just because people have been at home and I've been in chronic stress for, for a long length of time. Um, so for me, um, and my practice is a little bit different because I practice integrative medicine and not like, um, you know, not like traditional types of, of workflow. So for me, it's just, it seems like more people are being more introspective. Um, and then it compounds with their, their healing at some level and they want to keep the healing going as they travel or deal with family. And then just all the stresses that come with the holidays. Yeah, they can be holidays are not jolly for everyone <laughs> they're, they're not uh, there's a lot of family dynamics that are going on and it's a lot of high stress maybe kids are home um you know you're taking your pto and you're driven to kind of the brink with kids at home and trying to figure out you know how to get everything done why is it it i should say it amazes me that nobody can drive you more nuts than your own family. You know what I mean? Like I, from my personal perspective, I'm, I'm relatively good. You know, we, I've got a pretty good family dynamic going, but it always, it always amazes me, especially around holiday gatherings, how much more on edge people can get. Nobody can put you on edge more than, you know, just like you said, like a toxic family member or something like that. I guess it's because, you know, if you've got a friend in that, you know, over the course of time, that relationship is kind of sour. You can just kind of stop texting back and mm -hmm. leave it be. Mm -hmm. But when it's a family member, you still have to see multiple times a year. And I don't know what it is like that. You think it's just like um, grievances sort of fester and tend to boil up at points like that. Everybody kind of gets all, have you ever been those? You ever been to like a family gathering where like everybody's just on edge? Mm -hmm. Oh and yeah. And you, you know, everybody's supposed to be there kind of like to relax and enjoy each other's company. And everybody's just like, on the verge of cracking and you get to the point like there's this veneer of humanity that's over top of it and it's just like oh my god only family can do that you know what i mean yeah families carry some of the deepest like intergenerational wounds and you know you got you're not around them sometimes not it depends on the family sometimes people are around each other all you know all year long um and uh you know it depends on the family situation like if that's good or not, or toxic or what, uh, most, you know, the majority of families have problems. Um, and the thing that I witness in my practice is, I, I'm witnessing the first round of either parents or humans that are healing some of those generational wounds um, from their family system. And then they're going back into their family system and their their family is saying well remember that time when you used to drink or why aren't you eating this or um you know we're addicts in our family so we're all going to drink or we're all going to use or you know they're kind of reminding you of past versions of yourself and if you haven't built up 
uh, enough time under your belt, enough time to practice those boundaries. Uh, you know, the, the self-compassion and the self-care, the authenticity of like where you're at right now can be super triggering. Mm -hmm. And nobody knows how to trigger you more so than family. Uh, <laughs> I mean, to me, I joke with my clients and like, there's nothing, the, the deepest spiritual practice you ever have in your life is just being around your family. Like, see how enlightened you are with like a weekend, weekend or week with your family when you're trying to heal. Like, that's that's a deep deep spiritual practice mm -hmm. mm, gosh the um well and i think sometimes you end up in these situations where i mean you obviously you know of like the term like arrested development yeah. um but i i kind of think of i've thought about this a lot in the past as sort of like i don't know how you would classify it more like arrested um view you know, like if you view somebody at a certain age and you've known them like as that person and then mm -hmm. as time moves forward, you see them rarely and rarely. It's real easy to just continue to remember them as that mm -hmm. person they were at that one point in time and have sort of struggled to take into account that, you know, that person's not living in a vacuum. They're not going into cryo storage and then coming out a year later when it's time for Christmas. You know, right. they're experiencing things and growing and changing and and uh, I think sometimes the, the ability to accept that and move on from that is really, really important as well. It's tough because um, people get drawn back into those states. Mm -hmm. um, they get drawn back into those states and they start to feel like, I don't like how I am. We all have, so like internal family systems is a theory and a type of practice like that we all, there's a lot of talk about like inner child healing, but there's all these different parts to us. There's all these different parts and there's all these inner children that live within us. And so our family is like digging on a deep wound of like your, your 16 year old self and that stupid thing you did. And a lot of families haven't learned how to actually truly connect with one another. And so we're doing a lot of bypassing there of like food, substances, gossiping, or just triggering one, one another and just to have a fight in the form of this false connection where um, we need to learn to how to have you know hard conversations. We need to learn how to be able to let somebody grow and heal, even if they are breaking away from a cycle that has deeply existed within our family system. And that's really, really hard for the person because there is the family system, the part of the family system, because there is some grief and loss, because they're actually mourning that the the who they knew you to be at that age, that mm. sixteen year old. So they're kind of mourning that because they were very connected with that because that's kind of where they they may still be at uh, with themselves. And so there's some grief and loss there. But then on the other side, the the, the person that's healing, they feel like I can't go back into this family situ situation or system because I'm going to be held back at some level. And so it's. It's constantly getting some support so you can find out who you are right now and be really authentic. And to be misperceived is okay with a family that just, maybe they're you're not around them enough. Maybe they don't have enough evidence to see that, oh, you have changed. Um, it's just kind of this false connection with families that don't really have the tools to, to do that. I mean, my family, there's, at least two therapists in our family, you know, a counselor and a therapist in, in my family situation. So it's kind of like, oh boy, you know, um, and a nurse, like two healthcare practitioners, you know, frontline workers. So it's kind of like, yeah, we're going to be, we're going to talk about some stuff. Um, but that's not, 
in my family system, we're the first generation to do that. Mm-hmm. That's not something where we grew up uh, knowing how to do that intrinsically. Yeah. Something that we have learned through our experience and our professions to be able to do. Now, when you say uh, intergenerational wounds, what, um, yeah, give me the background on that. Cause I, I kind of feel like I know where that's going, but. So a lot of times people say, oh, it's my genetics. So epigenetics shows us it's epigenetics is the layer beyond genetics, a lifestyle environment, trauma, food, stress, all of the things that can turn on genes on or off. So like, let's just take diabetes, for example, say, oh, it runs in the family. Diabetes runs in the family. So diabetes runs in the family. So everyone is just predisposed to getting diabetes. And so when you get diabetes, that's just what happens. Well, you can actually turn on and off some of those genes early. That's, that's one example from a health front. Um, and on another front is like alcoholism. It's like, oh, it just runs in the family. And it's kind of excused that it runs in the family. It's like, well, why is it running in the family? So these are intergenerational things that are occurring um, within family systems, or it could be, um, there could be child abuse in the family. There could be physical or emotional abuse in the family, or there could be cultural considerations um, that turn on epigenetic levers or even religious um, trauma can those, these are just intergenerational things, things that have been passed on and they look like, um, I have a book here. They look like uh, personality traits or are traits of a person, but it's just, it's trauma built within that family system. So you'll hear, oh, all of our families anxious. We're all anxious. Mm-hmm. The book, uh, My Grandmother's Hands um, is a really great book. Kind of fun. I have all of these books, just stacks over there. It's next to my bed. That's why. So my grandmother can talks about just some intergenerational trauma um, that can exist. I have another book um, that just kind of talks about stress and just how that, that can intergenerationally look. And there are unique expressions of these things like ADHD, OCD, alcoholism, substance abuse. A lot of these things are genetic variants, but it's also exists within a family because there's something, there's a pattern of something going on within that family system. And um, I'm witnessing the first generation of individuals being cycle breakers and they're breaking away. And so they end up looking like a black sheep or I've been called eccentric, you know, in my family. Yes. (laughs) Uh, You know, because, because I, you know, have been working on some things and not, um, not, staying within the box of my own healing, you know? So um, there can be cycle breakers that they take a lot of, they take a lot of heat for healing. Um, you know, families would be like, who do you think you are? You think you're better than the rest of us? And it's not that, that it's just a person has suffered so immensely that they will do anything, even um, putting boundaries in place with their family so that they're able to move forward on their healing path. And boundaries is one of the hardest things. I think it's one of the hardest things to set. It's one of the hardest things to be understood, you know, especially in your situation, like you were saying, where um, somebody's healing and because of the fact they're healing, they're putting up boundaries, but to people around them, they're not aware of the fact that they were hurting to begin with. Right. And so why is it all of a sudden like, you know, from my perspective, everything was cool 20 minutes ago. 
And now all of a sudden you like, don't want to talk, don't want to like, what's, what's going on. But I feel like on the flip side of that, that, um, yeah, boundaries are definitely one of the hardest things to set. And I, I frequently run into that. I don't know if you, that's something you deal with. I, I struggle with boundaries all the time, you know, and, and part of it's because is that I, you know, I want to be the nice person. I want to be the person somebody can go to if they need something. I want to be able to be there for people. And then, but then again, you, you know, you sort of go through the cycle where eventually you hit that, you know, you'll hit a point where physically, mentally, emotionally, you're just exhausted. And you're just like, I, I literally just need to be left alone for a day and not, you know, and then that has to be the exact moment that somebody desperately needs you for something. And you're like, oh God, okay. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, boundaries are an art form. And, um, you know, I'm a clinician and I teach boundaries, but, you know, everyone still struggles with them because what you're talking about, you know, trying to be nice and people pleasing, that is very much built into most of our culture, especially in the Midwest. And that's actually, a, um, it's part of a trauma response called fawning, people pleasing, lack of boundaries. Um, you know, kind of being codependent, putting other people's needs before you. Of course, part of that is part of being like a good human, but um, it's everything exists within a spectrum, right? So, and the other end of the spectrum, it's a fawn trauma response where you're denying your internal like reality, like what you were saying before. Sometimes boundaries don't even have to do, there's so many, there's, I could talk about this for like three hours, but there's different layers of boundaries. So what you're saying is like, in your example, that was like an energetic boundary for yourself. Like you had a hard day or whoever the situation was, who, that's, if that wasn't you, <laughs> this person has had a hard day and they're just out of energy and you need to restore yourself. And so it was just an energetic boundary that you know for yourself, like I'm very tired. And so I'm going to make this promise to myself that I'm going to rest today. I'm going to rest today. That's a boundary for myself. So it doesn't even in your example, it that didn't even have to do with the, who the person was or, or anything. It was just more of yours. So we need to have those levels of different boundaries, personal boundaries, energetic boundaries, career boundaries, all levels of, of boundaries we need to put into place and they can change. So that's a really, really hard thing is boundaries should be a very dynamic not a static process. So um, I was just talking with someone, uh, another provider about this today uh, and saying that even within the same day, you can energetically just tap into yourself and be like, wait a minute, what, what was a yes an hour ago is now a no for me. It's now a no for me because I have new information about myself and the situation that this isn't gonna work. I am a very somatically inclined practitioner in person. So I'm asking my body all the time, like, where are you, boo? Like, where am mm-hmm. I asking myself? Like, where are you? Are you okay? Because um, I have a very stressful job and I will go into situations where I am depleted afterwards. And it has nothing to do with anyone around me. It's just for me to be rest, rested and restored the next day or the next couple of days. I cannot... Anything that would seem like quote unquote normal, it's just like, I got to take a break here. This was really, really hard. And you may notice that you need to have certain boundaries about certain people, certain conversations, certain triggers, certain environments, and that's all individual to you. Boundaries create a space. You're saying no to that right now to say yes to something else. Yes to your healing. Um, so 
they exist within a spectrum too. And, and we also need to be soft with our boundaries too. It's hard with individuals when you're using boundaries with individuals that have none, that don't have any boundaries and they will keep coming at you and throwing things at you. And it's very, very difficult. And so this is why people end up not using boundaries and giving in because sometimes for some people in some family systems, there's just no boundaries whatsoever. Uh, and that becomes very, very difficult. And so that's where boundary help with like a, a provider is really, really helpful so that you can practice it with like someone like me or a coach or a therapist or, or whoever that is um, so that when that situation arises, then you can speak automatically. Now that's not going to be easy. You're going to be probably shaking and nervous and sweaty and worried that you hurt the other person's feeling, but ultimately boundaries over time are going to give you space for you to heal. And boundaries are an ultimate act of respect for the other person. That's the other thing that is missed. Because let's say in your situation that you did say, okay, I'm going to show up for this person. Well, you're showing up for this person that's in desperate need of help, but you're showing up exhausted, depleted, annoyed. You don't want to be there. Is that the best situation for that person to be in? Right. No, it's not. Um, so they are, it's a, it's a, a greatest act of respect for the other person that you can give but they're greatly misunderstood by our society. Even our friends and family are gonna misinterpret boundaries because when I listen to my body and I'm asking it, where are you at, boo? It might change. It might change from minute to minute. You know, I'm just like, okay, now I have new information. I'm actually really tired. Now that I took a breath and I rested inside myself, I'm actually really, really tired. I need a, I need a moment here. Um, and so we have to use boundaries with ourselves and first and foremost, so that's where I would suggest anyone to start that and with work, especially while everyone's at home right now, if they're working on, if they're doing work from home, I mean, the greatest uh, places where you can start to use boundaries are with yourself and then um, like with at, at work, especially if you're working from home, don't, don't work 24 seven. That's not right. <laughs> you know, work to live, don't live to work. Um, so uh, another term that I've, I've run across and you using before is a term called ancestral trauma. Mm -hmm. And that has me just like, the concept of it has me fascinated. So I definitely had it written down to ask you about that. Yeah, I mean, we have running within us like 14 generations of, of DNA, you know, prior to us existing. And um, that our DNA gets turned, you know, passed down um, and through the womb. And I'm always, I work with a lot of women or families before they get pregnant to turn off some of the trauma um, that is expressing in their child or would express in their child. And you can do this through a therapy or you can do it through integrative medicine. There's so many ways that you, you can do this. Um, and so, it's kind of that intergenerational is ancestral trauma, but there is other traumas that live within cultures uh, that you can assume that are there, that we do have to heal. So 
that's part that people don't really like to hear this message that you have to work through layers of trauma. And to me, there's like four layers is your individual trauma, the stuff that's happened during your lifetime that you've experienced, whether you remember it or not, your body, your tissues, your viscera, everything, the, the way that you are remembers your body remembers, your body keeps the score, we remember trauma, whether or not your mind remembers it or not. Our brains actually shut down in traumatic instances. And so you may not remember. Um, that's just kind of how our brains work. So we have, we have to go through that individual, individual that. Then, then there's like family of origin or intergenerational. So the next generation and the one before that. So that's, that's intergenerational stuff that's happening within your family system. Um, just because it happens doesn't mean it's normal. It can look like personality traits within the family where it's it's actually a trauma response that's just been passed down. So there, that's that next level. And so um, healing that next level is really, really hard, especially at family gatherings <clears throat> when people are actually really serious about healing. Then there's collective traumas, things that we, um, cultures will experience, uh, things like a pandemic, there's cultural, just different source of layers of trauma that, you know, like refugees are going to experience a cultural trauma. Um, individuals that were captured and enslaved to, to come here, that's, that's a cultural uh, collective trauma that we're dealing with right now that's been unearthed during the midst of a pandemic, even though it existed for 400 plus years. So that's a collective level of trauma. Um, that kind of exists. So these are things that we inherit just as in the human species, but then there's certain cultural components that uh, collectively uh, can ex be experienced. I talk mostly about racism and ableism as far as like tr traumas, collective experiences. And then there's uh, like planetary experiences, earth trauma, the stuff that we're doing to the environment. Uh, we have to really work through these layers in order to get to like what we do to ourselves, what we do to our families, we're also doing to our environment. Here's a case in point. Rockford, Illinois, where you and I kind of grew up, is kind of a rough place to be. It's the ninth most deadly city in the United States. You know, when I drive there from Iowa, I look out the window and I had one of the last times that I had driven there, it was just so the image that I saw on the ground was just so reflective of the community that lives near Rockford. So the snow had melted and there was just trash spread all over the median of the highway, just piles and piles and piles of trash. And it was, this is something that in Iowa where we're a little bit more, it's more of a farming community. Uh, a lot of individuals came from farms and then they go to college and then they get jobs in the big city of Des Moines. Um, and there's a little bit more of a cultural connection and ties where in Rockford, it doesn't seem like there's that. I just, the contrast in like a five hour drive is like, oh my God, like I would not see that. Uh, in Des Moines, you know, just piles of trash everywhere. So that planetary trauma, and there's such a dense body of trauma, just if you look at the the history of Rockford and, um, you know, look at to how individuals came to Rockford, 
um, and moved up in the 1950s or, you know, after um, uh, coming up to the manufacturing. And because there's a lot of manufacturing uh, facilities there, but then they all closed down. So that contributed to the intergenerational trauma and poverty that's in Rockford. So it's that planetary trauma that then leads back down. And so these things are all interrelated. So when people go on this trauma healing journey, they think, oh, it's just about me. Well, is it? Because it's about how we're all interconnected with one another as well. And that's so true. Gosh, you look at, um, it was always interesting, the cultural shift that happened um, studying history. It took place in Europe after the bubonic plague. Of course, the bubonic plague was massive and, you know, killed, I don't remember how many millions of people, which right as that wound down was then followed by the Renaissance, mm -hmm. you know, and it was interesting the way, like, whether you were Christian, whether you were Jew, whether you were Muslim, whether you lived in Italy or Spain or what would become Germany, that was something that in a way they all dealt with and it left its mark you know, to the point where you can even look back today and look at culturally the shifts that took place, everything from, gosh, architecture to art to dress to clothing to everything. Mm -hmm. And I think you're absolutely right. I think it's going to be really interesting um, looking back on this 20, 40 years from now, mm -hmm. what we went through in 2020 and sort of the, the effect, because we talk about now, I remember that you probably had to too. I don't know it was like high school or college, you'd have some project where it was like, talking about the Great Depression, well, go interview your grandparents, ask them about it. That I remember doing that and some of the stories you'd hear, you'd be like, man, that is crazy. Mm -hmm. So I'm waiting for the day one of my grandkids comes and asks me about <laughs> the coronavirus pandemic of 2020. You know? uh -huh. I'm like, yeah. well, we, mo we mostly got through it with weed, or not weed, but memes. <laughs> and um, that's, a, that, that's crazy. The, um, so one of the things that I, I have noticed that you, you've made several posts on is psychedelic therapy. And mm -hmm. that, that I'm really, really interested in because I've kind of noticed that there was like, um, you know, you and I sort of growing up, as long as millions of kids, we were always subjected to the, you know, the D.A.R.E. campaigns and, the you know, just say no to drugs, as Nancy Reagan used to love to say. And sort of culturally and societally speaking in America, there was this like mindset of all drugs are bad. They are like the worst thing you can do. It's against the law. It will mess up your life. Don't go anywhere near it. Don't touch it. Don't talk to people who do it. It was, it was, there was such a heavy taboo paste placed upon it. Mm -hmm. um, laughingly now I, I kind of think about how like, you know, medicinal marijuana and even recreational marijuana has become legalized. Mm -hmm. And what a shift that is from even just like 20 years ago. Right. You know, I mean, granted it was over twice. I think it was like, was it like 93 or 94? I don't remember this, but when Dr. Dre came out with the album, The Chronic, and here's the <laughs> CD with this big mar marijuana leaf on it, you had to keep that thing hid in your closet, man. You couldn't yeah. let your parents find out that you had that. That was just, oh, that was just so taboo and so bad. And, and now I can go to the gas station and they've got edibles. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah, where you're at, for sure. <laughs> Right. So anyway, back to my original question about uh, psychedelic therapy. Please, please, please tell me more. So psychedelics have been with us since the beginningless beginning. Um, ever since um, they, they were actually, I forget the name of the book. I was just trying to look it up the other day, but there was this historian that did like a 12 year study and I'll have to figure out what the name of this book is so we can, I can post about it. 
We did a 12-year study and traced back ancient sacred medicines to religious ceremonies. And so um, even in the, before even written texts, these were in religious ceremonies, um, psychedelics in wine, and women were running these ceremonies. And then they were taken out of our religion so that men could run religious sex. Um, and it was kind of taken away. So there's been periods, even since the very beginning, even since the recorded tests were, were uh, psychedelics were, were taken out of the mainstream. And so then it was like the 60s and 70s with Timothy Leary. And I've got all these psychedelic books over here, like over here, Breaking Open the Head and um, Tripping. <laughs> these books over here. Um, <laughs> And even, even with Young, I've got all these books over here. Um, so it was Timothy Leary in, in the Harvard psychedelic uh, renaissance in like the 60s and 70s. And then, then the war on drugs happened. And so it had to go underground. So these substances, these medicines have still been with us. Um, they've just gone underground. Um, because of the Nixon administration, they manufactured the war on drugs uh, to primarily put a black and brown um, boys into prison for the school to prison pipeline. And um, so <laughs> it was just a marketing campaign to, to lock up generations of black fathers uh, primarily. Um, and so uh, marijuana sentences, drugs that were used in black communities were given harsher sentences than cocaine that was used in white communities. Really? And this was very intentionally done. Um, and this is, if you look for it, folks, you can look up the Nixon administration. It's not like secret information. It's very much public knowledge. Now, I grew up in the convergence of the 80s and 90s where there was like those commercials where this is your brain, this is your brain on drugs. They crack an egg and fry it up and say, any questions, it was supposed to be scary. You know, so I had that, and I also grew up in a, a religious cult um, up until age 13, and so it wasn't even like being able to have access to TV. Like, I wasn't even allowed to do that. So the, the hilarity that I'm doing this work in the middle of the Midwest with my upbringing is just, I think it's hysterical. Um, but it's it's a lot it's a lot like a lot of individuals in the midwest that are seeking out care for their mental health conditions where they haven't been able to get treated so right now with all that being said psychedelics never went away they've just gone underground and there are some legal uh retreats and churches there if you get a church status you can have like an ayahuasca ceremony Primarily, this is happening in the coast. Um, you know, California is a big state. Colorado has some, like, cannabis um, therapy and some other psychedelics therapies there that are legal. And then Oregon just decriminalized everything. Um, but they're having to work on the legalities there. So I get messages every single weekend. I, my email blows up because I'm listed on these listservs as being a provider. 
think in people thinking that I can be a sitter or guide or get them substances, they really aren't understanding um, the legality of the situation, especially with books like Michael Pollan's book that came out. Um, there's just more interest and there's more information in this area, thank goodness, because there's more safety information. Um, but at the same time, I'm really filling in uh, a safety and a harm reduction gap because what happens is most people will go um, out of the country or they will go underground or they will do these substances and medicines at home and they will not think about their mental health state. They don't have any of the information and sometimes it can be a really rough ride. And so a lot of my work is to educate and to really ground someone on the other side when they're having a really hard time um, coming from non-ordinary reality to the shared plane that we all exist within. Um, so I've gotten advanced training in this. I'm the only provider in seven Midwestern states. That is, um, yeah, it's really sad, really sad. I've never taken more heat for anything I've ever done in my career um, than standing up for this. But I mean, I- Like amongst colleagues? Uh-huh, yeah. They're just it, still stuck in the old ways or what's? Yeah, it's, it's, it's very much, um, it's just kind of this new, there, there are colleagues that are very, very excited about, they just can't do it publicly because they're at an agency. Um, they're stuck, they're still stuck. My colleagues are still stuck in that mind frame of these are drugs, these are bad. Um, but obviously my colleagues have also seen the worst of the worst situations, right? And so um, without any support or education or any unlearning on their own end, that's kind of where they're at. So a, a, any sort of drug is only, it's not good or bad. LSD by itself is not good or bad. It is just, a, it is just what it is. It's the label and the connotation that we as humans put on something, whether it's medicinal or whether it's not. Um, so you have to do your own decent amount of unlearning as being a provider. Um, but yeah, in this area, I'm providing right now, uh, I would just call it harm reduction on the front side. So helping someone plan out their journey, do it safely, line up their mental health state with a medicine, making sure that they have set setting down intention, making sure that they have a plan, you know, all of these things on the front side, because where I'm at in the Midwest, there isn't, nothing is legal. We're, we don't even have recreational marijuana legal here. I mean, we just legalized medical marijuana for PTSD. I mean, we're in Iowa, Iowa ranks uh, dead last in mental health services, 50 out of 50 states. We're, we're at the very bottom. Uh, so we're very much stuck in some older models uh, here. So this is kind of where some of the pushback is. And quite honestly, not a lot of people have the training. I ha I'm lucky because I have integrative medicine training for mental health, which includes entheogens, which includes plant medicine. Like I will prescribe um, CBD, you know, and I will, I am very much um, on board with that versus my other mental health colleagues. They don't have the training that I have. Um, and know that the, how medicinal things can be. Um, and they have training in what they have training in. And so it's just my niche and my specialty is, is that. And so on the other end, I love the integration work. I love, um, 
I love working with someone and talking about their experiences because there's our soul and our psyche speaks in symbols. And so I like kind of drawing that out um, of the person to, um, to change their life for the better. And it's always there, even a difficult experience has profound amounts of wisdom in it. And so I, I love it because I'm a big fan of individuals um, being able to be in charge of their healing at the most, like at the highest levels that they can be. And so I attract a lot of individuals, a lot of men to um, mental health, engaging and talking about mental health that would never, ever engage with a, a mental health professional ever in any capacity whatsoever. They would have never gone to therapy. You know, they would have never uh, talked about their difficulty with another person. They were just going to suck it up for the rest of their lives. So I love that this is such a, a, a modality that is bipartisan. I mean, I've got Trump supporters, Biden supporters, people that don't vote, spiritual folks. I mean, all across the board uh, that conspiracy theorists, they're all attracted to this modality. And I actually, I, I love working with just the diversity um, of people that are pro, hey, I'd like to not feel like shit. I'd like to not have uh, flashbacks and be up all night terrorized uh, by this traumatic experience or um, terrorized by how much I'm in pain. Mm -hmm. So I, I love that. I'm, I'm one for, are psychedelics for everyone? No. Is marijuana for everyone? Cannabis for everyone? No. But I'm for all modalities on the table for all people. Because I, I think that people have suffered enough and they deserve to have whatever, whatever the research says, whatever maps is saying like this works, like that should be an option for folks. Mm -hmm. That has to be an option for folks. Well, that's good. Gosh, that's really good to hear. It was one of the, I'm, I'm all about normalizing mental health, especially mm -hmm. in men. Um, Cause that's, that's, you know, one of the hardest things is that, um, and, and not saying that, you know, mental health impacts everybody. Um, but you know, for men, for generations, it's been suck it up, quit being a pussy. Nobody wants to hear it. We all got problems. Shut up. Just bury that down deep and don't ever bring it up again. Right. You know, <clears throat> and that can turn into, I think, just like you were saying, like, you know, intergenerational trauma where you're just constantly suppressing, suppressing, be stoic, move on, you know, it was don't show weakness you know, all that kind of stuff. And then eventually you get to the point where, you know, at least, you know, me, you're like, God, I really need to talk to somebody. It'd be really nice to just, you know, you, you get to the point where you feel like you're walking around with three pallets of bricks on your shoulders, you, do. Mm -hmm. you know? So that's, that is, to me, that's phenomenal to hear that you have that many reaching out, reaching out. And, um, and I'm not going to say his name because I, I realize it's a personal thing, but I had, and I think I told you about this is the first time you were on the podcast. I hate, um, a couple months later, I had um, a listener who reached out to me and said, hey, just want to let you know, after I listened to your podcast with Shannon, it really got me thinking. I started doing some research. I found a local therapist. We've been talking a couple times a week, and I feel like I've completely turned my life around. And that was really, really awesome to hear. So yeah. hats off to you, obviously, for coming on the podcast You know, for the first time. And it, 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 at the very least, we know one person is is progressing and doing better. And I, I, I like to say that to anyone, 
You know, I am by no means obviously a professional. Uh, you know, I'm more than willing to listen to anybody talk. But, um, uh, you know, if you feel like you've got some weight on you, if you feel like you've got some stuff bothering you, and I think everybody does to some degree or another, um, find a professional, reach out to somebody. There are so many, I feel like, and I've realized this more and more and more following you on social media, like how many new avenues are beginning to open up and new understandings about where a lot of this stuff comes from. There are even a lot of things that, you know, minor things about myself that I didn't even realize until I read one of your posts and went, oh, okay, that kind of makes sense. That actually kind of makes a heck of a lot of sense. So, so uh, yeah, my hat's off to you in that regard. Um, where this is this is gonna feel like I'm taking like a, a bizarre turn here, just okay. completely completely segueing into something. Weird. <laughs> where where is the community at in the whole like ADHD ADHD thing? Because it felt like that was like a pandemic in the nineties. Mm-hmm. Like every kid had ADD. I was diagnosed with it. Were you? Yep. Yeah. See, it's two of us. What's um what? I don't know. Do you have any kind of like background on that? Is it how that happened and where we're at oh, yeah. currently with that and so I've done like podcasts and training all about just ADHD in the nineties. Um, so I was recently on another podcast, which if you guys go to any of my social media, you can listen to that podcast. Um, because it was the same with him too. He got diagnosed with us as well. It was just one of the hot new, uh, like diagnosis in 1990, like the 1990s. So a lot of us were getting diagnosed with it and with ADHD, it's still one that's very contested. Um, is it real? Is it not? Okay. So I'm not going to get into that because that's above my pay grade. I'm not, um, I'm not in the American Psychological Association. I'm not writing out the DSM codes uh, for ADHD. I mean, obviously I see that it exists. Um, you know, I've worked with so many kids and families and adults with ADHD. Uh, it, it looks different culturally. And you need to look at it with a trauma-informed lens. I, I was experiencing childhood trauma, and so I should have been cared for in a different way. I actually have OCD and anxiety um, and had, was experiencing, you know, levels of abuse um, and, and got diagnosed with ADHD. So part of my healing has been creating an ADHD protocol that's trauma-informed for kids and adults um, because... Um, there, you know, it also exists with so so many co-occurring um, conditions. So ADHD two-thirds of the time has a co-occurring other mental health condition. And so it needs to be treated with those layers. Uh, so there's a lot that it was hot in the in the 90s. It continues to be, it is, I do believe it's a real, a real condition. Um, that can be treated with integrative medicine that I do treat all of the time with integrative medicine. There's a ton of roots there, but there also, it does look very different. And I have a whole thing on how it looks different uh, culturally. And um, it needs to, trauma needs to be ruled out because trauma can look like inattention. Anxiety can look like inattention, you know, depression, which are co-occurring. You know, you can have more than one, one mental health condition. Like that's a real thing too. Um, so it's just determining, you know, what's going on. Um, I'm really, I get into it. Like I, I see a lot of misdiagnosis in my practice. I like to know what's actually going on for the person. Well, I, can, I mean, that can make a lot of sense because if you're talking about ADD attention deficit disorder, 
So the child is having problems pay attention. Is it literally just because they have problems paying attention or is there something else going on that's causing them to not be able to pay attention? And therefore, yeah, I can see that. Now that you say they're that. Worried about sense. their next meal. They're worried if, you know, if their parent is going to be abused, they're, you know, they've just experienced gun violence. Um, they haven't been sleeping. They're homeless. They're moving around. I mean, you know, so it's tough because what happens in like school settings is this, this child is bouncing around in the classroom, you know? So why are they bouncing around? Why are we all in desks and, and the child's six years old? You know, the whole how school is um, versus for someone who with ADHD to me too, I have to rule out, is this person a kinesthetic learner, a hands-on learner? Oh, they're a hands-on learner. They don't have ADHD. They just need to move around. Right. They, they learn, they learn by doing. Mm -hmm. And so it's like ruling in and ruling out some of these very basic things. Oh, this kid's been up all night with the screen in his face and the sleep is out of whack. Okay. Is that ADHD to me? So for me, as like a root cause type of a clinician, it's like, uh, what's going on here? Mm -hmm. What are they eating? What's their family like? What's, I, I just kind of poke around. What's happening here? Not to discount that ADHD is real or not real, but sometimes it's, to me, I look at it in an opposite kind of a way. It's like, oh, there's a circadian rhythm imbalance. Oh, this is trauma. Oh, this is hypoglycemia. Oh, this is a food issue. Is like a food intolerance. Oh, there's low nutrients and vitamins. Oh, this is a learning uh, style that can look like ADHD. Someone else may diagnose it as that, but I might not. Right. <clears throat> well, and I'm, I always wondered about this and I haven't gotten my PhD yet. Um, and I'm not gonna, but, um, <laughs> I sort of felt like looking back on it, the, the, there was sort of this like weird convergence that I, it, this is just my theory, that could have led to this rash of ADD diagnosis is that our generation was sort of like one of the first generations that was coming of age with all kinds of new technologies. Yeah. There were all these new TVs, there were Game Boys, there were Nintendos, you know, video games, MTV, all this kind of stuff going on. And yet at the same time, the schools that we were attending, the curriculums and the setup were still like in this 1950s model of you sit at your desk and there's a chalkboard and you take notes all day long. And you have these children, That's this is the way I felt, where I felt like I was coming into school and I was had all these things going on in my brain of everything that was out there and everything that was going on. And then I just had to like sit still Doesn't or make I was sense. bad. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and you're yeah. looking out the window and you're just vibrating like a pile of molecules. Like, why am I here? Why am I sitting here? Right. There's stuff to do. There's more fun stuff to think mm -hmm. about and experience. And, mm -hmm. and I always wondered if that didn't have a lot to do with that happening as well. Mm -hmm. And it feels like, and I look at my kids now and you're probably the same way is that yes, there's still, I mean, of course you take pandemic out of this thing, but you know, they still go to school and they still have to learn their stuff like uh, English and math. I mean, that that's understanding. But the way they break up the, the day is so much more interesting now. The way there's more hands-on activities, the way there's more motion and fluidity and integration of those technologies into the classroom. We thought it was awesome if we got a VHS tape for a class. Right. You, you remember that? That was usually a substitute teacher day, you know, but... Overhead projector. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> that just meant you could nap in the back of class because the lights exactly. were low. Lights are low. <laughs> well, 
Well, all right. Well, um, I, gosh, I, I feel like we could go on and on forever. So we'll definitely have to, definitely have to have you on sometime. Um, ladies and gentlemen, if you're watching this, if you're hearing this, by all means, look up Shannon Myers, the integrative counselor, Facebook, Instagram. Do you do Twitter? I'm on Twitter. Roots counselor. Roots counselor on Twitter. Look yeah. that up. Um, I haven't, I, I'm so terrible with Twitter. I, I feel like oh, I get I'm, on... random. I'm random on it. It's like, I'll tweet like once a week and it's, I don't know. I'm not yeah. on much. I, I, I guess it's because, well, I feel like net, uh, like Twitter is so much more networking that it's sort of like, I'll get on there. I'll be like, man, I haven't been on Twitter in like six months and I'll get on there. And for like a week, I'm like, yeah, I'm really going to get on this Twitter thing. And then you post like five things and nobody likes it or anything. And then you're kind of like, why am I doing this again? Yeah. I'll just, yeah. I'll just go back to my Instagram. That's where I belong anyway. So, <laughs> well, once again, I uh, want to thank you uh, so very much for coming on. Um, and then outside of that, I'll give the floor to you. If you've got anything you want to say to people on the way out. Yeah. I mean, if you're in uh, the Rockford area, my sister-in-law owns resilience counseling in Rockford, Illinois, and there's three practitioners there. So if you're looking to, to reach out, um, they, they do children, they work with children and families as well. The reason that I do these, I mean, neither, uh, James or I were not making any money from this. He just got off work. I've been working all day. The whole point of this is really to normalize mental health and to re reach out and trying to make myself accessible, show you that I'm a real human being, just are all my colleagues as well. If you are in a, like a crisis situation or you don't have any, um, you don't have therapy insurance, you can text home, H-O-M-E, just text that word to, 741741. That's a free uh, crisis text line. You can call, you can text for any kind of reason. Um, if you're anxious, if you're depressed, you're suicidal, um, if you're just, you're, you don't know what to do um, in a situation, you can text any time of day or night. Um, on my Instagram, I have other resources for teens or vets that are free resources as well. If you're interested in doing integrative medicine, um, and looking at your root causes, you can reach out to me and, and get a hold of me there. Um, I do work across all 50 states with integrative medicine um, for mental health, and um, all of my services are trauma-informed. I also do psychedelic integration, which we talked about. I'm also a Reiki practitioner and then a consultant. So if you're a clinician and you're wanting to consult, I have some providers across the country that they'll bash together some of their clients to, um, so that they don't have to go back to school and do what I'm doing, but they can talk to me about um, their client populations and I can give you some tips and tricks to work with um, your clients. I'm also uh, a systems change consultant and I will help train and educate anyone who is willing to, to hear me educate. I'm, I'm not the best, but I am excited about the work. I love it. It is my purpose and reason for being. Fantastic. I concur with absolutely 100% everything you said. I'm not, you're not getting any disagreements from me. <laughs> and I try and tell people, you know, I talked about earlier in the podcast, I try and tell, tell people all the time, there's, there's nothing wrong with admitting you got a problem. There's nothing wrong with admitting you need help. There's nothing wrong with admitting you need to talk to someone. Right. Um, I, I, the amount of times I've heard, man, I wish I would have done this sooner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, get on it. You know, you only got you only got so many years on this earth. 
-hmm. try to make them as enjoyable as you can and don't uh, don't waste your time carrying something that you could begin working on right now no i mean there's no there's no you don't get a sticker for suffering the most like you don't mm -hmm. get a reward for that but there's always ways to reduce that uh, level of suffering and that's what we're both talking about. You know, I ever, I only, I do these so that hopefully someone will engage in um, the healing process at some level. Mm -hmm. I agree. Well, I love it. Um, I love you. I want to thank you for coming on once again, <laughs> once again. And I have absolutely no doubt that uh, we'll be in touch in the future. Sounds great. Thank you. Thanks All right. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Okay, so that was a podcast with Shannon Myers. Um, had a lot of fun doing it. She's just an awesome human being. I can't thank her enough for coming on and for letting me call her friend because that's just cool. She's a cool person. I love how energetic she is and how informative she is about stuff. I mean, she's got like a brain that's got so much information in it. I feel like I could do like a 12-hour a podcast and even then barely scratch the surface. So if you like what you heard, by all means, f find her Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Give her a follow. And sometimes it's just kind of nice. The amount of times where I've thought to myself, like, I really don't, like, okay, I really don't need any counseling. Um, but from following her and some of the stuff she's posted, it's it's been definitely thought-provoking in a lot of ways and kind of helping connect some of the dots even in my own brain. So I highly recommend that. Um, also check out, again, our sponsor, Blackstar Woodcrafts. I'm going to keep recommending it because I like recommending him because he's awesome. He does awesome work, and he's a sponsor of this podcast. Don't forget to go to Blackstar Woodcrafts on Facebook, Instagram, and on Etsy. Let them know you got through the Fin Show. You will get 15% off your order. All right, folks, that's it for this time. want to thank everyone for listening. Uh, if you could please, you know, like, share, subscribe, all that good stuff. Tell a friend, tell another friend. And if you're listening to this on an Apple device, there's a spot up in the corner where you can click to leave a review. If you could leave me a review, that would be amazing, too. Every little bit of it helps. All right, love you all. Take care of each other. Bye-bye.